but we're going to talk about laying down our power today. And I want to say a couple words to help me. First of all, hey, it was great to not be here next week. But after the fact, being able to listen to Haley drop a truckload of microphones. Am I right? Oh, my. It's like, Haley, she got, and she's like, yeah, I've never done this before, this, this. And I get all these texts. And they're saying, yeah, Jeff, this sermon was great, but she's a total liar. It's obviously this person's been doing it their whole life. No, they, I didn't get any texts that way. I did get some uh, rather uh, colorful communications about how great the teaching was and how much life and challenge it spoke into people's lives. And you know what I love about it is our, this is a small little church. Look around. You know, there's not, you know, we, we're not going to rate a good Showtime documentary. You know, first of all, because we're not really good at organizing and exerting power over people. And uh, uh, I do have some really awesome shoes. I don't know if they're fashionable, but you know that preachers and sneakers idea? But they do have amazing arch support, which I'm a big fan of. Because how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? You can't bring good news if you don't have good arch support. Just saying. Um, but the thing that really uh, hit me is here's someone that works underneath the hood in the issues of how power is handled in Columbus, Ohio, and the data of how power flows, how power works, how it helps the poor, how it harms the poor. And that's just one person. But I want to tell you, and I'm not going to do this, but if I threw a rock, and I would hit someone here at random, you know, spin around, throw a rock. Actually, that's a violent metaphor. If I were to throw a, a, a soft peach and hit someone here, um, I would hit someone that has a superpower. Because I, I literally look around and I look up, oh my gosh, like teacher of the year, engineer, beautiful like voice concert logo, expert on communication with people with autism theologian that uh can riff on carl bart if you just tickle them a little bit you know rock star that knows everything about the rolling stones uh someone with superpowers of empathy that you would think they were telepathic uh the person that if works in retail Sales double and everyone feels like they've been loved and ministered to when they come to their department. Uh, bus stop evangelist that doesn't have her driver's license, but everyone who ends up sitting at the bus with her has an encounter with the risen Savior. Uh, funniest poet I have ever heard. You know, uh, uh, best, several of the best game masters or... Uh, game facilitators I've ever... I mean, the superpowers in this place. Art. You guys don't realize how much art you see around the city. Coffee roasting. The most fragrant aromas to enter my house other than Adrian's cooking is when I have a cup of coffee roasted by Doug Buckley from farmers that you guys help build relationship with pursuing economic justice with the gospel of Jesus Christ in Tanzania. The superpowers in this place, um, this is old cultural reference. Who remembers Voltron? Does anyone know who Voltron is? Voltron was part of a series of, uh, along with the Power Rangers of stuff in Japan, where you had all these individual, powered individuals that had their individual robots or vehicles, and they would fight monsters, and then a monster that was insurmountable would come together, and they would form one body to defeat evil. 
And what you didn't know is it was because the missionaries that were very active in Japan at the time talking about the body of Christ. And people mistook, this actually probably isn't true, but it, it should be. Uh, that, the, that a bunch of people come together to defeat a foe that no one could defeat. But here's the deal. With all those series, all those, uh, whether it's the ragtag bag of misfits that you see that Akira Kurosawa writes about in The Seven Samurai, or Magnificent Seven, or Star Wars, you know, that the, the misfits come together to defeat evil. Here's what the story we have going on at Central Vineyard that we subscribe to that is the story that is written on people's hearts. And to the extent you get to join the story, to the extent you have a joyful life. And that is, we get to come together to form this mighty presence because God, God is not the God of individualism. He's the God who loves individualism, individuals that makes them into a people. God inhabits us to non-violently defeat evil. God doesn't make, give us the, power, the tools of the enemy to overwhelm the enemy. God gives us the tools of humility, kindness, gentleness, enemy love. And that sets up this little uh, seismic change in the fabric of reality where the enemies are loved into being friends. And it may not happen now. It may be, you know, a lot of times I think of the 20 or 30 year plan. You know, a lot of people... Uh, they learn to share the gospel and they learn to say, take this long, beautiful story and turn it into five bullet points, which is good. It is good to be able to tell good stories in five minutes. Who here loves five-minute stories? They actually, one of my favorite anthologies is almost every pop cultural thing has these five-minute Star Wars stories. Have you ever seen that? Or five-minute, it's like they stole it from children's Bibles. I love short stories, but the gospel is also a long story, and it's a story that's begging for everyone to fill in a role. In the long-form gospel storytelling, it tells the typical good versus evil story, but by not hating people, evil becomes not a thing. And we don't dance on the graves of our enemies, but the graves open up and people come to new life. And that is compelling. You know, the easy way to grow a church, you know, we could grow really fast if we picked an enemy in our culture, a flesh and blood enemy, and talked about us versus them, and stoked the fear of that enemy, and talked about how the greatness of the context we live in is compromised by this enemy. Rah, rah, let's defeat this enemy. And then Paul just ruins it. Apostle Paul, you know, people like to paint him as grumpy because they read Western culture into Paul's Middle Eastern writing. When actually Paul is not grumpy. Rewind and listen to our Galatians sermons. Paul says our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities of darkness. And this passage that he talks about in Ephesians, it isn't just about demons. And that we're on a battle against these reptilian, you know, Lovecraftian uh, powers with leathery wings, belching sulfur. Yeah, there's some of that, I think, too. You know, I mean, that's a reality. But principalities mean structures. And what Haley did is she talked about her intimate understanding of structures that oppress people. Principalities means, you know, the person who accosted me and accused me and physically intimidated, threatened me is not my enemy. That happened this week, actually. It's a story. And I failed, by the way. I let my amygdala get going, and I started arguing with this person. At the end, I was like, 
okay, now I've got to somehow connect with this person, find a way to apologize for my bad reaction to them falsely accusing me and become friends. And my goal is to one day sit down with a drink with this person. But it happened. I got like violently accosted. And I failed part. I didn't do any, I mean, I, I didn't totally fail. I didn't totally succeed, but now I've got to be a minister of reconciliation and have the Holy Spirit help me do some good work. And maybe this person will be up here speaking someday. Anyway, all that to say is this person, I could tell A, they're self-medicating. B, they were on some kind of methamphetamine type thing to increase their productivity, not meth, but probably like, you know, rich people, methamphetamines, cocaine or something. This person was aggressive and angry, and uh, I could tell this person had worked out a lot, was really buff, and, and really handsome. They're actually my age. I'm like, you look like 20 years younger than me. And I was like, this person probably has experienced being powerless in their life. They were probably maybe picked on, maybe had an abusive parent. There is a storyline where a system ground this person down until this, until this person subscribed to the system of exerting power for safety and significance. This person was a cog in the wheel of oppression. This person was not my enemy. I actually have had to battle against my head having revenge fantasies because I've never been a tough guy, but I know how to mess with people. I'll sign you up to every mailing list in the world so you get three corrugated boxes of mail every day and have to sift through it to find that one bill so you don't go to collections. I've had horrible revenge to fantasies. You know, I, 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 can, I, can, you know, I can socially network to hack someone's identity, whatever. I can be a very bad person. It's not fun, though. Just trust me. I've tried it sometimes. It's not fun being a bad person. But my battle wasn't against his flesh and blood. And this person may have, in fact, been demonized. This person may, through trauma, have somehow connected to spiritual forces evil that even amplified what was already there. But the enemy is not this person. There is a force of evil in this world, and there's a system that grinds people down that we have an abuser-making machine called society. We have a world where competition and lack and how resources are engaged and distributed, it's an abuser factory. The world can be an abuser factory. And the biggest tragedy I can think of is when the people of God take the raw materials of their soul and offer it up to the abuser factory. We become formed, and there's all these Christian ways of doing it. These guys are enemies of the gospel. These guys are this. I mean, the Crusades. Or... Uh, the idea is you become what you don't forgive. Even if you want to be the most loving person, you harbor resentment. Next stop, the Red Skull or Dr. Doom. If you harbor resentment, you're one step closer to Darth Sidious. All right? If you harbor bitterness and unforgiveness towards, if I cultivate bitterness against this person, I better quit pastoring for the, until I repent because I'm just going to reproduce haters. So... It's a big controversy in the church. In fact, certain denominations will not help let people become pastors if they acknowledge the idea that sin is systemic and individual. If you say there are systems, if you say, um, was this a, um, I, I'm going to butcher this quote. I think it's MLK. I'm starting to forget things. He says, who, who said this? Someone's going to have to help me out here, okay? It says, if... Um, if I, if I preach about caring for the poor, people 
are cool with it. But if I start talking about why they are poor, people want to crucify me. That's a, who said that originally? A different version of that. Someone knows this here, but you're probably too sure. You've heard it though, who's heard that? Like if I talk about the cause of poverty, I'm in trouble. If I help the poor, everyone's happy. And the thing is we believe poverty and self-loathing and self-harm, the same force that causes people to cut on themselves because at least they feel something in some level of control is the same force that means that I am 10 times less likely to get busted for smoking pot than a black brother and sister if they're smoking pot walking down the street past the same law enforcement officer. It's just true. If you live in Clintonville, you know this. If you're white, you can't get in trouble for anything. I, I've lived, now, you, you can say, oh, I'm a communist. I've lived here for 25 years or 30 years. I've never, ever, ever, ever seen a gringo busted for something minor. But I've seen other people busted who are not gringos like me. And I look at this. I said, I'm, I'm actually a beneficiary of a system that gives me life on the easiest setting. Now, I'm going to talk about the Bible here. You're like, oh, he's just going on on some liberal agenda. By the way, I am not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. I'm just a Jesus enthusiast. And if you want to ask me about my political views, it's usually uh, the difference between number one and number two as far as toilet stuff. I'm not a fan. If anyone, I've been accused of being a fan. Actually, I was, I was quoting a theologian about generosity and how it applies to systems. And someone says, oh, you're just spouting that communism. And they said, this person was born long before Karl Marx. This wasn't communism. I'm not a communist. Have you ever seen a communist government do a good job at caring for the poor? No, uh, communism is a poverty-making machine. So are forms of capitalism. I mean, humans just make poverty really well because they don't have Jesus. So that's what I believe. So don't, please don't accuse me of being polite. If you're, my one concern for everyone's soul when it comes to po uh, politics is this. My concern for your soul is if you're happy on voting day. If you're happy on voting day because someone wins, you can be happy that the worst person loses. But don't be enthusiastic about anyone winning because, first of all, what kind of person would think and campaign that they would be qualified to be president? Think about this. It's like, yeah, uh, I'm going to be leader of the free world. I'm your guy. Automatically narcissistic personality disorder to the extreme. So the question is, it's not a question between good and bad. It's a question between a narcissist and a sociopath, right? So all that to say is, Rachel, you could not have set this sermon up better. Rachel's been taking uh, extra time being very vulnerable with you guys, and she does announcements. She is specifically, in a way that may be weird or off-putting to one or two of you, been sharing about the process her family is going. But there's a method to our disclosure. First of all, it's good to be vulnerable, number one. She's modeling for you that you can publicly share your heartbreak even if people will judge you or think you're too sensitive or this, that, and the other. But the other pastoral thing that's happening when Rachel shares is she is showing herself as my husband and I are on the receiving end of a power acting unjustly that every one of us subscribes to. We all have paid our dues to a power that has really mistreated Luis and, and basically essentially when Luis has gone to immigration uh, meetings and he's met with people, they treat him like he's trying to scam our country. 
Now, dude, I have scammed our country before. I've done this person. You know, I have broken and entered into buildings. We called it urban exploration. You know, a good pair of bolt cutters, you can, you can check out the steam tunnels under, you know, OSU. Post 9-11, you'll get shot for that stuff. You know, I used to get up to all kinds. You know, I thought it wasn't breaking and entering if you know the code to get into the uh, frat house that was closed down and have your own parties there. To me, it was just, oh, isn't this fun? Now it's, you get shot if you don't look like me. All this to say is, but then Luis, who is one of the most integrous people I know, is treated preemptively like a criminal when he wants to come here to assist as a missionary to the United States, helping us understand how great Jesus is. And he married this amazing person, and they've become this power and weakness couple, and he's being treated like a criminal. Guys... Uh, so Rachel, sharing her heart is, I'm not giving you, we're just telling the story. We're not giving you propaganda. The gospel is opposed to every power that exerts coercion and force. Every power, good or bad. And I had this crazy dream uh, the other day. Uh, I was replaying, well, I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt, so I use a Star Wars dream. I was thinking of nonviolent ways to disable the Death Star where the nine million people that work and live on the Death Star wouldn't die. You know the story like Luke drops this bomb down the shaft and it blows up. And well, you know, there's like nine million people live on the Death Star. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool actually to cause an explosion that caused the Kyber crystal that focused the death ray beam to dislodge from the Death Star, break up into a million pieces and fall on all the surrounding moons for Jedi to make lightsabers, to deflect blasters. That was, so I have a whole fan fiction of the nonviolent solution to the Empire of Star Wars. But in a way, in the gospel, we think of nonviolent solutions, not because we're hippies, but because we love everyone who could be hurt by violence and everyone needs Jesus. You know, I'm like, the thing is, Jesus is it. Jesus is it. My, my question, if you don't know Jesus, he loves you. If you do know Jesus, Jesus loves you so much that he wants to invite you to a life-giving act of love and obedience that will make your life even better. And a lot of time that better is through eyes that are stained with tears. I talked to one of my favorite sisters the other night on the phone. I won't call you out by name. And we were just imagining together what it means to love people that have hurt us. And the idea is like, it's easy to like people. Like is not a fruit of the spirit. You like people that don't rub you the wrong way, but loving someone, I look at my dearest friends here, and there's been a conflict in almost every one of my good friendships. The, 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 the game of life is you defeat the boss of conflict by head on with the gospel, and then you level up to a new level of love and friendship. You don't just start paring down your life every time because I would, and this is self-serving, guys. I would be a very lonely person if every time I offended someone, someone would do this because I am a freaking offensive person. I don't pick all social cues up. I talk too much. I'm hyper, and uh, I, for most of my life, I've lacked a filter. I want a world full of grace. Otherwise, my social schedule is going to be worse than it already is. So, I want to read the passage of, uh, oh, Carlton Tanner. Dude, why didn't you just say this? Okay, Carlton Tanner wrote, 
When I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they are poor, they call me a communist. Archbishop Helder Camara of Brazil. Dude, give it up for Carlton Tanner. And guys, are you vaccinated fully? Give Carlton a hug if you are too. He, he, he needs a hug for this. That's, you win. You win church today. So I'm actually going to get to the scripture. I just... Uh, let me open up. This is uh, John chapter 12. Jesus predicts his death. Now, when I do story time, I like to sit down. So if whoever's doing the video thing, you can focus it in so I don't have a little head at the bottom of the screen. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival. Oh, you know I'm from a Greek background. I'm like, I'm included. Shout out to Jeff here. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a quest. Sir, they said, we'd like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Hey, truly I tell you, unless... Okay, here's Jesus' big power speech here, guys. This is it. Unless a kernel of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. With anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now, my soul is troubled. Guys, I, I'm not going to do this part justice because I'm not feeling really troubled right now. This is Jesus, like, telling guys, guys, I am totally messed up right now. Not sin-wise, emotionally. He says, my soul's troubled. What am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this reason that I came here. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I'm going to continue to glorify it. The crowd was there and heard and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken it to him. And Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. And I'll add parenthetically, I talk to the guy every day. Uh, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out and I will be lifted up from the earth and will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Can you imagine some multi-level marketing scam inviting you to a hotel to get you all psyched up to say, okay, guys, you're going to die. Here, forget your upside-down pyramid network marketing scheme. It's, yeah, the way the gospel goes viral is you're going to lay down your power and privilege and people are going to know my love. I mean... If this were just a propaganda piece met, made for a power-hungry institutional church, they did a very bad job at writing it. Because the only way this story works is if Jesus rises from the dead. The only way this works is if thousands upon thousands of people who saw Jesus die saw him come back without one drop of violence against the people that hurt him. Otherwise... He's just a poor, deluded fool that we'll feel sorry for. But very, we don't feel sorry for Jesus. In fact, some of us feel intimidated by Jesus. But guys, 
If the seed falls on the ground and it dies, I'd like everyone to stand. Just something really quick here. While you're standing, I want everyone on this side to relocate to that side and everyone on that side to relocate to this side and do it as quick as possible. Like, and if, you, if your knees don't work or you spilled some adhesive on your seat, that's fine. Oh no, middle, middle guys, you just switch with your middle sides. But the front, in the middle, the front goes back and the back goes front too. We're making it harder. Hurry up guys, because we're running out of time. Okay, hurry up guys, come on. Now, if you were in the back, okay, good job. Sit down. Okay, I just displaced all of you. I exerted my power of persuasion to cause all you to do something that was socially uncomfortable, to go somewhere you did not choose to be, which is a different seat. It's a minor displacement. But um, a couple of you were falling asleep, and I get it. My wife especially gets it. In fact, I think she had to leave earlier because she was getting narcolepsy from my preaching. But the idea is, through displacement and discomfort, God comes. Through displacement and discomfort, God shows up. We don't have to hold on to our place. We surrender our place. And some of you who are falling asleep are just a little bit more awake. You're welcome. That's very small. And I want to think of the hyperbole of dying. Because I know people who literally, not metaphorically, literally face death every day from their faith. In a country, I'm not going to even say the word, just for, you know, now that uh, a certain country has partnered with another country to use their search algorithms and their internet filters to tag people. I'm not even going to say the key words here. But uh, there's countries where if you complain about the utilities, you will disappear. Now imagine if it's a militarized country and you start preaching about the importance of loving your enemies. And what if it's a country that is not providing care or services or even imprisoning a certain religious group? If you talk about that, you will face death. We know one of the countries I'm talking about. There's actually a lot of countries that did this. And then that country may economically take over another country. Well, so many friends are serving in a context where complaining will get you killed, potentially, or at least disappeared. I was in a country when the free press went away while I was there. The last free press deal closed down, and uh, two weeks ago, that country uh, started filtering every bit of internet traffic uh, using another country's provided software. Can I tell you something awesome about all my brothers and sisters in Jesus in that country? I never hear them complain about their country. I know one person who's a pastor who reaches out to people who are ranking military officials uh, not to become safe and favored, but to tell them about Jesus. Instead of hating the people who have the tools of oppression, they love them. And frankly, I, I'm emotionally a volatile person. And if I didn't have friends like that during the last many years where our country has fallen more in love with coercive power, I would have become an atheist. Because I would see all these people say they're Christians and they care about greatness more than foot washing. I would have been, a, I would have been an atheist. But the fact that I get to have friends around the world, I'm a, I'm a special needs Christian because I have it easy. 
but because I have friends around the world who are actually suffering for the gospel, they wouldn't call it that. I'll call it that. Instead of feeling persecuted because I, someone wants me to use another pronoun or something or whatever people say they're persecuted about, I get to see, I, I get to see that I can love because these people love. And none of them have died yet. You know, I'm, statistically, one of my friends are going to die for the gospel one of these days. But none of them have died yet. I don't know the latest update of some of my brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are loving their enemies and caring for the sick and not fleeing danger so they can dress the wounds of the hurting. You know, likelihood someone's not going to make it through that. But what I'm liberated by that friendship is instead of feeling like a persecuted, you know, white male Christian in America, I can feel like a guy that's got off easy who has been given compassion by Jesus to learn from these folks and to even, I may not be suffering lack of resources, but I'm empowered to utilize resources I have to join God's love agenda. You know, someone said, uh, one of my relatives told me, they said, you know, do you know in school they're teaching our kids to hate themselves? And this person uh, was part of a Christian school, actually, saying, in our school we don't do that. We don't teach kids to feel bad about slavery because we don't want them to have bad self-esteem. And I'm thinking, well, when I attended that Christian school and people called me certain pejorative terms because I was non-athletic and effeminate, uh, you didn't seem to care about whether I hated myself or not, but if I care about how has God empowered me to do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly, somehow that's hating myself. Frankly, if, if daddy says, come to work, we're going to have some fun. Let's uh, do justice, love, mercy, walk with humility. Let's bind the wounds of the broken. Let's pray for the sick. Let's love our enemies. And I trust you. I know you struggle with depression. I know that you're having horrible knee pain, back pain, and neck pain, and I know that uh, you have a hard time staying on topic, but can you please come to work with me, son? I love you so much. Let's do some fun things. I am sorry. We don't do shame in the kingdom of God. We do conviction, and conviction comes with power. You know what conviction is? Conviction is marching orders to set people free, and darn, that's fun. So guys, let's be seeds that fall on the ground and die. Let's stand. Friends, I was deeply convicted that I responded with aggression and had revenge fantasies at this person that violently accosted me. All right? I'll keep you... I'm, I'm praying for how I can befriend this person. You know, it takes two to befriend. It takes one to love. I'm committed to loving this person. I'm praying I can befriend this person. But listen, all of us have been macro-aggressed or micro-aggressed by someone. And we, Kelly, um, Kelly, pass those out as quick as you can come back up here. I think I'm going to have you do communion. Improv. Um, guys, does, who here has been aggressed upon or hurt, micro or macro, in the last month? Really? Okay, come on. I'm actually, literally, raise your hand if you felt aggressed on or disrespected, micro or macro. I mean, maybe some of you are hermits. But here, you don't have to raise your hand. But here's what I say is every, every instance is an opportunity to be Jesus right now. And I'm going to get prayer after the service.
for navigating this relation, this situation I experienced. Um, prayer team, could you bolt to the sides? So you can still take communion from there. We want to get prayer to just follow Jesus, because if Jesus rose from the dead and he gave us his Holy Spirit, yeah, I got you. So, guys, get prayer before you go. If you want to just grab someone next to you, you know, uh, you know, if, if you want to, like Marcos, you can grab Charlie or something. You take turns praying with each other. You don't have to go to the sides, but guys, if we don't do something with this, it's just trivia that we've been inoculated to. The first, I'm, I'm all for one micro step of obedience, and that is get prayer that you'll be able to die to self and love this person who hurt you. And the best is yet to come.